Chapter Twenty Three: The Final Chapter of Round the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Round the Moon by Jules Verne, Chapter Twenty Three: The End. We may remember the intense sympathy which had accompanied the travellers on their departure. If at the beginning of the enterprise they had excited such emotion both in the old and new world, with what enthusiasm would they be received on their return? The millions of spectators which had beset the peninsula of Florida, would they not rush to meet these sublime adventurers? Those legions of strangers, hurrying from all parts of the globe toward the American shores, would they leave the Union without having seen Barbicane, Nicol, and Michel Ardin? No, and the ardent passion of the public was bound to respond worthily to the greatness of the enterprise. Human creatures who had left the terrestrial sphere and returned after this strange voyage into celestial space could not fail to be received as the prophet Elias would be if he came back to earth. To see them first, and then to hear them, such was the universal longing. Barbicane, Michel Ardin, Nicol, and the delegates of the Gun Club, returning without delay to Baltimore, were received with indescribable enthusiasm. The notes of President Barbicane's voyage were ready to be given to the public. The New York Herald bought the manuscript at a price not yet known, but which must have been very high. Indeed, during the publication of A Journey to the Moon, the sale of this paper amounted to five millions of copies. Three days after the return of the travellers to the earth, the slightest detail of their expedition was known. There remained nothing more but to see the heroes of the superhuman enterprise. The expedition of Barbicane and his friends round the moon had enabled them to correct the many admitted theories regarding the terrestrial satellite. These savants had observed Divisu, and under particular circumstances. They knew what systems should be rejected, what retained with regard to the formation of that orb, its origin, its habitability. Its past, present, and future had even given up their last secrets. Who could advance objections against conscientious observers who at less than twenty-four miles' distance had marked that curious mountain of Tycho, the strangest system of lunar orography? How answer those savants whose sight had penetrated the abyss of Pluto's circle? How contradict those bold ones whom the chances of their enterprise had borne over that invisible face of the disk which no human eye until then had ever seen? It was now their turn to impose some limit on that selenographic science which had reconstructed the lunar world as Cuvier did the skeleton of a fossil, and say— the moon was this, a habitable world, inhabited before the earth. The moon is that, a world uninhabitable, and now uninhabited. To celebrate the return of its most illustrious member and his two companions, the gun club decided upon giving a banquet, but a banquet worthy of the conquerors, worthy of the American people and under such conditions that all the inhabitants of the Union could directly take part in it. 
all the headlines of railroads in the state were joined by flying rails, and on all the platforms, lined with the same flags, and decorated with the same ornaments, were tables laid and all served alike. At certain hours, successively calculated, marked by electric clocks which beat the seconds at the same time, the population were invited to take their place at the banquet tables. For four days, from the 5th to the 9th of January, the trains were stopped as they are on Sundays on the railways of the United States, and every road was open. One engine only, at full speed, drawing a triumphal carriage, had the right of travelling for those four days on the railroads of the United States. The engine was manned by a driver and a stoker, and bore, by special favour, the Honourable J. T. Maston, Secretary of the Gun Club. The carriage was reserved for President Barbicane, Captain Nicholl, and Michel Ardin. At the whistle of the driver, amid the hurrahs and all the admiring vociferations of the American language, the train left the platform of Baltimore. It travelled at a speed of 160 miles in the hour. But what was this speed compared with that which had carried the three heroes from the mouth of the Columbiad? Thus they sped from one town to the other, finding whole populations at table on their road, saluting them with the same acclamations, lavishing the same bravos. They travelled in this way through the east of the Union, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire, the north and the west by New York, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, returning to the south by Illinois, Missouri, Arkansas, Texas, and Louisiana. They went to the southeast by Alabama and Florida, going up by Georgia and the Carolinas, visiting the center by Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, and Indiana, and after quitting the Washington Station, re-entered Baltimore, where for four days one would have thought that the United States of America were seated at one immense banquet, saluting them simultaneously with the same hurrahs. The apotheosis was worthy of these three heroes whom fable would have placed in the rank of demigods. And now will this attempt, unprecedented in the annals of travels, lead to any practical result? Will direct communication with the moon ever be established? Will they ever lay the foundation of a travelling surface through the solar world? Will they go from one planet to another, from Jupiter to Mercury, and after a while, from one star to another, from the polar to Sirius? Will this means of locomotion allow us to visit those suns which swarm in the firmament? To such questions no answer can be given. But knowing the bold ingenuity of the Anglo-Saxon race, no one would be astonished if the Americans seek to make some use of President Barbicane's attempt. Thus, some time after the return of the travellers, the public received with marked favour the announcement of a company, limited, with a capital of a hundred million of dollars, divided into a hundred thousand shares of a thousand dollars each, under the name of the National Company of Interstellary Communication. President Barbicane, Vice President Captain Nicholl, Secretary J.T. Maston, Director of Movements Michel Ardin. And as it is part of the American temperament to foresee everything in business, 
even failure, the Honourable Harry Trollope, Judge Commissioner, and Francis Drayton, Magistrate, were nominated beforehand. This is the end of Round the Moon by Jules Verne, translated by Louis Mercier, eighteen twenty to eighteen seventy five. End of chapter, end of book. Thank you for listening.